All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's pray and let's dive, dive into God's Word, yeah? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your blessing and for, Lord, your love upon us, your grace and your mercy, Lord, that you have bestowed on us, Lord, and we're so grateful for that. And Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning that we would understand the importance of, of, of witnessing to the lost in, in, in an effective way <clears throat> that would touch their hearts. We thank you for the book of Jude. We thank you for, Lord, using this man to, to write down, Lord, words that we can benefit from and grow and learn from. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Speak to our hearts today as we open up your word. And I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Turn to the book of Jude. Right after Third John and right before Revelation, the book of Jude, chapter 1. There's only one chapter, verses 22 and verse 23 is today's text. We're now in part 7 of our series, Fight for the Truth. Say that, Fight for the Truth. Again, Jude chapter 1, verses 22 through 23 is today's text. So how many of you uh, are enjoying this series? Hmm? I, I am, right? It's amazing how much information uh, there is in, in this short book, right? A very short book, one chapter, 25 verses, uh, but it's packed with power. It's packed with a wealth of truth. Uh, it's packed with a big punch. Well, we're almost done with this series. Two more messages left next Sunday, today's message and next Sunday's message. And by the way, if you have missed any of the messages in this series, you can find them on our website, on our Facebook, uh, church app, YouTube, the podcast is on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify, so you can keep in step with us, okay? So before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 20 and verse 21. And you might remember that Jude, what he does, he encourages his leaders, excuse me, his readers and the church, us, to have a healthy faith, to stand strong, uh, how to live in the midst of false teachers uh, and apostates. And I would add, in the midst of an anti-God, ungodly culture. Now remember, Jude makes a shift here, a transition, and he turns from them, speaking of the false teachers and apostates, now to believers, speaking of the true followers of Jesus Christ. And you might remember the four points from the text, and the first one was building. Say that. Come on, say building. And Jude says to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And so we are responsible as believers, right? Uh, we are responsible for our own spiritual growth to build ourselves up. Now, to build ourselves up in what? Well, he says in our most holy faith. And we know and learned last week that's a reference uh, to sound doctrine, a right understanding Right, understanding of the truth as it's revealed in Scripture. It's the Word of God. Say the Word of God. That His Word is the foundation for our Christian faith, our life. Now, if you're saved, say amen. So we defend, this is how we defend, give a representation, what we believe, why we believe it, and how we've come to those convictions. And this is why we need to build ourselves up in the Word of God. Remember what I said last Sunday that in order to survive in a time of false teachers and apostates and apostasy, in order to survive in an anti-God, ungodly culture, it is absolutely, listen friends, essential that we are built up in the Word of God, right? So that we can discern truth from error, right from wrong. So first point was building. The second point, you might remember this, was what? Praying. Say praying. 
And Jude says what? To pray in the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, I want you to follow me here. Verse 19, Jude tells us that these false teachers, these apostates, are men who what? Divide you. They're all about dividing the church. And he says, who follow me are natural instincts. And he says this, and do not have the Spirit. Right? The Spirit. They do not have the Spirit. So what Jude is saying is that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. Good place to say amen. Okay, you have the privilege of, of thoughtfully moving uh, into the presence of God and, and communicating with God by means of the Spirit of God that indwells each of you. So, so Jude says, because the Spirit of God lives in you, then pray in the Holy Spirit. Remember, that simply means to pray under the direction, under the, the influence, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Right? And the Holy Spirit, we know this, the Holy Spirit will, will guide us, will direct us, and will be in accordance with His will. Not my will, not your will, but with His will. Now, I want to mention something that I should have mentioned last Sunday. And it's this. The awesome thing about praying, say praying, in the Spirit is that you have, you and I have a companion in prayer. Right? How many times, I want you to think about this, how many times have you gone to God in prayer and and you're distraught, you're burdened, uh, you're anxious, you're worried, you're fearful, deeply grieving. I mean, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't even have words. As you're going to pray, you don't even have words. You're, you're face down on the floor weeping. You just don't have any words. You don't even know how to pray, right? You're so distraught, you're, you're so anxious and worried and fearful, deeply grieving. You don't even know how to pray. How many of you have been there? Well, this is when the Holy Spirit, our companion, say companion, in prayer, intercedes for us. Right? Now, I want you to write this down. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Did you get that? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And you see, friends, the Holy Spirit will translate our thoughts and our intentions and our emotions and our heart and translate it, this is now, translate to the heart of God. We don't even have words to say, uh, you know, when we don't have words to say, uh, the Holy Spirit is there who intercedes for us. We have a companion in prayer. Now, don't forget, friends, okay, the Word of God and prayer go what? Together, right? They, they, they go together. When, you, when we read the Bible, God is speaking to us. When we pray to God, that's us speaking to Him. We need both, listen now, to balance out our spiritual life, right? And the third point was keeping, say that. And Jude says, keep yourselves in whose love? God's love. It means living in obedience to God, right? In obedience to God and having an everlasting preoccupation with God. You're busy about thinking about God, right? You're preoccupied with God. It's keeping ourselves in a place where we're experiencing the love of God. And it's keeping ourselves in a place where we're enjoying the love of God. Got it? It's staying connected to him. 
And the fourth point was waiting. Say that. And Jude says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to what? Eternal life. So what Jude is referring to here is referring to the return of Christ, waiting earnestly, right? Expecting his return. And, and, and we, we as believers, we should see the rapture as a blessed, merciful event in which Jesus Christ comes to retrieve us. Good place to say amen. So we should live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. Now remember, waiting for his return is active, not passive. Got that? So as you and I, as believers, as we're waiting for his return, we should be building ourselves up in the word of God, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves connected to God, serving, right, giving, witnessing, say that, worshiping, loving others, and loving Jesus, and living like we love him. Because how we live is the most reliable indicator, listen now, friends, of what we actually, actually believe. This now brings us to today's text. The title of today's message is Effective Witnessing. Say that. Question, do you believe, do you believe that one day Jesus is going to come back to gather us up, his church, his people, his bride? Do you believe that? I'm not, I'm not convinced. Do you believe that? Well, until then, until he comes back, friends, as, as we're waiting for him, we should be about witnessing and winning others into his kingdom to become a part of his bride. Yeah? And this is what Jude is addressing in today's text. And here in the text, Jude tells us what we are to do, listen now, with those who are lost. Those who have been influenced, affected, duped, by these false teachers, by apostates, and that as Christians, we must have compassion on them and pity for their unsaved condition. That we as a church, and we're the church, right? That we as a church, we have an obligation to share the gospel. We have an obligation to reaching the lost. If you believe that, say amen. So what is actually described in the text is a spirit-led effect effective witnessing that is able to determine exactly what needs to be communicated in any given situation. Now, now listen, there are three groups, or we could say three categories uh, of people that are described here in the text. And, and I, I understand this to be referring to three separate groups of sinners uh, who need to hear the truth, who, who need to hear the gospel. David Guzik said this, by using wisdom, we approach different people in different manners, by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we can know when we should comfort and when we should rebuke. You got it? Now, if you're saved, say amen. You see, when we build ourselves up in the Word of God, pray in the Spirit, and keep ourselves connected to God, right? Keeping in God's love, we are then equipped to witness effectively to the lost. Got it? We must equip ourselves, listen now, inwardly before we can evangelize effectively. And that's why Jude lays it down, right? Lays it down. He's saying, build yourselves up in the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit, right? Keep close to God so that you will be an effective witness for the kingdom of God. Got it? So three points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Well, how do we do this? Number one is this, show mercy. Say that. Show mercy. And I want you to follow me, verse 22. 
Jesus says, be merciful to those who doubt. These are the doubters. In this category, group of people are those who are doubting. And, and their doubting could be the result of the false teachers, of the apostates. Okay, It could be that. They're, they're being confused by the false teachers that are, that are there in the church, who have infiltrated the church, uh, being confused by the heresies and, and the error, friends, and, and the false doctrine that's being taught, or even the licentious lifestyle that being tolerated in the church. And Jude says, he says it's to deal gently, say gently, to be merciful with those who are doubting. Show mercy to those who have, listen, who have, who have believed in the teachings that are not in line with the scriptures. Or those who are on the fence about believing in God. And you see, these doubters, say doubters, are people who simply don't know what they want to believe. Okay? They don't know what they want to believe. They're, they're not sure what to believe. Perhaps they're in the church or perhaps they're even outside of the church. And nonetheless, this is a person who's like, should I, should I or shouldn't I you know, follow God? Is, is he real? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure what to believe about God. These are the doubters. Now, these are people who are not anti-Christ. They're not anti-gospel. These are just people who are confused. Are you guys with me? They're, they're doubting. They're doubting. Listen, they're doubting that, that is to say they're, they're not sure what the truth is. And we all know people like that, don't we? We know people like that, right? People at work, a relative, a friend, a neighbor, an acquaintance, right? They just don't know what to believe. Again, they're not anti-God. They're not anti-gospel. They just don't know what to believe. Well, Jude is saying that we need to, what, have mercy on people like that. That mercy, that mercy means that like, we don't write them off because they, don't, they haven't made a commitment to Christ yet. We don't write them off because they're not sure what to believe. We don't write them off because they're hesitant. Well, listen, we don't antagonize them. We don't criticize them. What you and I are called to do is to evangelize them. And we do it with mercy. We understand that they have eternal souls. And they need to hear the mercy of the gospel. We, we, we need to have, listen, compassion on them. Now, they may be stubborn. They may be argumentative. But we need to be patient. Say patient. With them, be merciful, not quarrelsome. You see, let's be honest, friends. As, as Christians, our natural tendency is to say, come on, why don't you even believe in Jesus? How can you not believe in Jesus? Okay. I mean, why don't you just surrender your life to Jesus? Why are you doubting the gospel? Well, what does, First Peter, what does Peter say in 1 Peter 3.15? What does he say there? 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always, say always, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, this is what he says, do this with gentleness and respect. Did you get that? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 26. And Paul writes, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And he says this. This is what he says. Opponents 
must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. Did you get that? And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So what this person needs is to have a clear presentation concerning the grace of God, the gospel of God, right? We need to encourage them. We need to help them. We need to show them that there is a merciful, say merciful, there's a merciful God who designed an amazing salvation plan whereby they can be saved. What these doubters ultimately, listen now, need is for us to be a display through, listen now, through of what we do and what we say of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mercy that they need to see in you and I. Now, as I was doing my study, what, what, what came to mind, what comes to mind, is Jesus and the adulterous woman. And that's found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. John 8. Verses 1 through 11, Jesus had mercy, in other words, compassion on this woman. And he offered her forgiveness. He rescued her. He didn't condemn her, right? He, if you read the story, he didn't condemn her. He had mercy slash compassion on her. Got it? So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Some people don't need to hear about how bad they are. I said some people, <laughs> okay? Some people. Some people don't need to hear about how bad they are. They don't need to hear how bad they are and the hell that they're facing. They already know it. Some people already know it. They just need mercy, compassion. He has believers, listen now, that's you and I, right? As believers who experience and enjoy the blessings of mercy, we are required to show mercy. Can't keep it to yourself. Right? Our mercy, our compassion is on, listen, on them will make Jesus, we proclaim, that much more attractive. And hopefully, someone say hopefully, that will move them, move them to a place of belief in Jesus Christ. Now listen, if there are people in your life, and I'm sure they are, who are doubting, they're doubting, they don't know what to believe, well, they need to hear what God has to say, right? So they can decide what they want to believe. So you and I, we need to, listen, present the message to them, right? Again, we're talking about people who are not anti-God, anti-gospel. They're just doubting. And you are to love on them. You, listen, you are to have mercy and compassion on them, and you keep ministering to them in that mercy and love and compassion. Amen? That they would see the mercy of God through you that they would come to a saving relationship with Christ. So Jude says, show mercy. Number two is this, use boldness. Use boldness. So with others, we are to be merciful, right? He says to be compassionate. But with others, you have to be confronting, <laughs> right? Confronting, deal quickly with those who are in danger. And this is a bigger challenge when with those who doubt. Now let's look at verse 23a, the first part of verse 23. He says, snatch others, say others, from the fire and save them. Do you get that? You see the contrast now? From verse 22 now to verse 23, snatch others from the fire. First he says, be compassionate, be merciful, right? Now he says, snatch others from the fire and save them. So this group, this category of people are those whose lives 
are in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ. They're just going in the total opposite, opposite direction of Jesus Christ. It could be that they're in a different religion, okay? Or they just, they're just living their lives with, without any regard for Jesus Christ, right? And I'm sure we know people like that. They're, they're pursuing things that are opposite of Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They don't want nothing to do with Jesus. They don't need Jesus. How, how many of you guys know folks like that, right? They're, they're, they're living, they're walking in the opposite of, of Jesus Christ, right? So now as we witness to them, I want you to get this, okay, as we witness, we've got to be bold, but as we witness to them, this doesn't imply intimi- me, intimidation or humiliation. Got it? But simply sharing the truth, say the truth of God's word. Now if you're saved, say amen. We as believers need to be willing to share the whole counsel of God's word, that, listen, that there is a heaven prepared for the redeemed. Got it? But there is also a hell waiting, okay, those who die without Christ. So as believers, we have an obligation to share the truths of eternity. And we ought to, listen, bring fear to those who are lost. And we share the truth about their eternity because we don't want them. We don't want them to perish. We don't want them to be eternally separated from Christ. We don't want them to go to a place the Bible calls hell. This is why we minister to them. This is why we are to snatch them. Look at the text. Snatch them out of the fire. Now, the Greek word snatch is harpazo. Say that. Harpazo. It, It means to be caught up. Uh, that's where we get the word raptured from, or rapture, okay? It means to take by force to carry away. Now, now, now you notice that we're, we're getting into language that's not so gentle, right? We went from merciful to what? Snatch them out of the fire. Okay, we're snatching them out of the fire. We're, we're pulling them out. Listen, now pulling them out of the fire means this. It means saving them from the judgment of hell's fire to which they would be liable if not saved. Are you guys with me so far? Now, if you're safe, say amen. We should be, listen now, when it comes to these, this category of people, okay, we should be as passionate as a firefighter going back into the building to save another victim. Into a burning building. Huh? Fanny Crosby wrote a great gospel song, and this is one of the verses. It's called Rescue the, the Perishing. She writes this, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Listen to what she writes. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Great words, right? And by the way, I need to say this, our world, our culture today, right, continues, continues to deny the existence of a literal hell. But it does exist. I mean, if you read the word, it does exist, right? And all who die apart from God in sin will spend eternity there, eternally separated from him, right? You know, you know uh, people, and, you know, I understand people, like to talk about how gentle Jesus was, and Jesus was gentle. Jesus is gentle, right? Right? We agree with that, right? But you know what, friends? Nobody talked more about hell than Jesus. You know why? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. He doesn't want anyone to be separated, eternally separated from him. 
and I want to say this, that, knowing that, knowing that, that ought to change us, and that, ought, that ought to challenge us in such a way that we can no longer be complacent and passive about the needs of those who do not know Jesus in salvation. Hell is the end result of all who die lost, friends. You got to get that, church. Are you guys with me? It's a real place. Say that. It's a real place. It's a real threat to any person who has not believed in Jesus Christ. And so you and I as saved believers, right? We're saved sinners. We're saved believers, right, friends? We need to witness to them and win them to Jesus before hell engulfs them. That's what Jude's striving at. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Some people need some. I said some. Some people need a firm hand and hard words. Some, right? Need a firm hand in hard words. You see, some people can profit from gentle counseling, right? A gentle word, while others require a confrontation or action of some sort to pull them out of the fire. You got it? You know, it's sad. It's sad that when we as Christians rebuke the person who needs compassion, and it's dangerous when we show restraint to the person who needs a strong word. Many of you guys know that um, for many years before I became a pastor, I played, I was a songwriter and played in the Christian band, The Cry. And we traveled a lot. We traveled everywhere. We weren't full-time, but we were very busy. We played about uh, three weekends a month and in between uh, other churches. And we played at many churches. We played at Great America. We played um, everywhere. We played at Folsom Prison, San Quentin, uh, Elmwood, CYA's, Boys and Girls Ranch, and also Juvenile Hall. And when, whenever we played, I, I would, at the end of the concert, I would bring an invitation. And when we went and played at these facilities like the prisons and stuff like that, I was a little more bold, okay? Because you got to consider where they're coming from. And so whenever I would do an invitation, I, I wouldn't be, I would just be very bold about the truth of hell and and these guys, they could take it, you know? And we've seen many, many come to the Lord because of that. But there's some people in your life where you just got to say, hey, man, wake up! Wake up! I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to be separated from Christ eternally. And there's some folks perhaps in your life at, at work, perhaps a relative, perhaps someone you know, friends, you, you just got to be firm with them. And shake them and say, hey, listen, I want you to get it. Listen, I don't want you to die without Jesus. Right? Let's look at the text again because I want to make something clear here. Snatch them out of the fire and what? He says and what? Look at your Bible and, and what? And what? Show No, save them, right? Show mercy. Save them, right? So snatch them out of the fire and save them. Now, Jude's not saying, listen now, that we save them. Okay, we can't save nobody. If you believe that, say amen. Uh, a while back, I was, you guys know that, if you want to find me, I'll, I'll be at, Mc, at McDonald's most of the time, all right? So I sit there, and I get my refills, and just sometimes read, study. I take a break from my office and go and just kind of just hang out. And I was sitting down there having my soda and just reading some things and going over my notes and stuff like that. It was a while back, and I, I saw this young lady with her, with, with her friends walk in. I recognized her because she got saved at the church. And... Um, I said, hey, how are you doing? She goes, hey, pastor. And she gave me a big hug. And she told her friends, this is Pastor Arnold. He's the one who saved me. And I said, oh, I started laughing. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I didn't save her. 
I said, Jesus did. Jesus saved her, all right? Um, Jesus is the one who does the saving. And we got to get that, right? He's the primary cause of salvation. Now, while he saves, he does use us, right? He uses his people. We don't literally save others, okay? We're not the authors of salvation. We know that, but we are ministers of salvation. We just partner with Christ, okay? Not a primary cause, okay? We are simply the tools that he uses. Got it? I want you to write this down, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, who? God has been making it grow. We just plant the seed. We just water it. That's all we do. We don't save anybody. Got it? Okay. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. And Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone say amen to that. But he says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach, listen to what he says, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So he uses us, we're tools, right, to minister to others so they will in turn get saved, right? But there's some folks, I'm going to say it again, that you have to be firm with. Some merciful, yes, got it, show mercy. Others, you just got to be bold. Got to be bold. Got it? Show mercy, use boldness. Number three is use, use caution. Say that, use caution. So, so this group or this category of people are those whose lives have involved them with particular sins that for you, this, I want you to get this, that for you would create a possible temptation towards sin. Okay, so let's look at verse 23b. To others show mercy mixed with what? Fear. I want to stop there. Mixed with fear is admonishing us Christians to exercise, got to get this, to exercise care when dealing with defiled people lest they fall into the same temptation and become defiled themselves. You're safe, say amen. We need to be very careful. Say careful. Okay, we need to deal carefully with those who are defiled. You see, when witnessing to them, friends, we are to show them mercy. He says that, show them mercy, right? But that mercy needs to be mixed, say mixed, with fear, with caution. In other words, we got to be very careful not to get wrapped up in the sin that they're in ourselves. Did you guys get that? Listen, we need to be very careful not to fall into the quicksand of compromise when witnessing or reaching out to others. And Jude's point here is that the believer must never think that he or she is beyond satanic influence. Friends, we can become defiled by that very person we are witnessing to, that very person we are seeking to help. I've seen this happen. I've seen a believer in Christ minister to someone who's just deep into living in a a sinful lifestyle and they have the right intentions to go minister to this person, but they themselves, a Christian, ends up falling with the same person in that same sin. Friends, I've seen it. 
And that Christian didn't put up his or her guard. They were not cautious when ministering to this person. They showed mercy, but they didn't mix it with fear. Are you guys with me? I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Reminds me of a story of a minister who had a heart for, for girls, young girls trapped in the life of, of prostitution. And he spent a lot of time on the streets ministering, witnessing to them, and would give them money to help them get out of that lifestyle and to start a new life. Well, he eventually became so close to the girls that he became intimate with them. He became a client instead of a lifeline that he intended to be. I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. You're still with me? Say amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Do you get that? So here's the lesson. Are you ready? Lesson is be the influencer. Be the influencer. Influence them for Christ. Don't allow them to influence you to sin. You need to set the agenda. You need to put your guard up. Yes, minister to them. And some of us know folks, I mean, they're just deep in a lifestyle of sin. And yes, we are to have a heart for them and minister to them, but we got to be cautious. You are called to influence them, not them influence you into their sin. Are you with me? This is what you're talking about. Careful. Let's read on. He says, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Did you get that? Hating, say hating. Even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. This is kind of like the, the expression, love the sinner but hate the sin. There's a caution, right? There's a caution. Love the sinner. Yes, love the sinner, but be careful. Hate the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And the corrupted flesh is the sin nature. You see, the clothing, the, the garment spotted by the flesh illustrates the sinner's debauched, corrupt, depraved life. And, and this image of, 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 of hating the clothing actually came from Leviticus chapter 13. Write it down, verses 47 through 49. Leviticus 13, 47 through 49, where the priests were to burn the leper's polluted garments that carried the disease. Got to burn it, okay, because it has disease. So follow me. We need to hate the disease, the sin, the garments that are destroying the person, but not the person. Got it? And we got it. Hate the sin, but we must witness to and love the sinner. And I think sometimes as believers, sometimes we can get on a high horse and we just hate the sinner. And we are not out to do that. Yeah, hate the sin. You need to love the sinner. Right? There's some folks in your life, it's hard, they're hard to love. Yeah? But you got to love them. See, you can never argue someone to Christ, but you can love them to Christ. Right? But we should have a hate for the sin in their lives, but not a hate for them. There's hope. 
Got it? Someone say, "There's, there's hope. Now, all that being said, I want to say this. There is absolutely nothing wrong, say nothing wrong, with a righteous indignation towards sin. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Now, when I think about Jesus, I think about how he, he always showed mercy, right? He always showed compassion. But Jesus, if you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't shy away or, nor overlook sin. He exposed it and he dealt with it. Got it? So what's the lesson? Here's a lesson. We're talking about us Christians here. Hate sin. Write that down. Say hate sin. Hate sin. Can I ask you a question, believers? Do, do you hate sin? I mean, think, think about it. I want you to think about it. Think about it. Do you hate sin? Hate sin. Because it's not enough to just ignore it. It's not enough to just say, well, you know, I'm, going, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to engage in it. We must deal with it. Right? Immediately, appropriately. We must hate it. Hate it. Because by hating it gives us a better chance. So you say better chance of not indulging in that sin nature. Every single day, you and I, I want you to get this now. You, when we wake up, I want to tell you something. That sin nature is not going to go away until you go to heaven. It's not. Okay? That old man, that old woman's going to rise up every day. You got to shut that person away, right? And so you got to crucify the old nature, and you got to cultivate the new. And the way you, you crucify the old nature is by Cultivating in you, how do you do it? Well, you read the Word. You're prayed up. You're connected to Jesus, right? And it helps us, listen now, it helps us to hate sin, to learn to hate sin. In fact, let me say this. The more we understand grace, the more we will hate any sinful flesh pollution in our lives, Right? So as, as we wrap this up, and as we close, I would ask you, every one of you here this morning, this coming week, I don't know what your agenda is, I don't know what you got going on this week, but this coming week, I, w- I would ask you, in light of the scriptures, in light of what we learned, I would ask you to share the gospel with one person. Just one person. At work, a neighbor, an acquaintance at the store, I don't know a relative, that you would share the gospel with just one person. And as you begin to share it, be discerning, say discerning, and act on the basis of that discernment on how to share the gospel. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Use discernment. Before you even share the gospel, say, Lord, how am I supposed to approach this person? Is it whether to show mercy, use boldness, or use caution? Because the Lord wants you and I to be effective witnesses for the kingdom of God. People are dying, separated from Christ, every day of our lives. Can you just reach one person this week? Just just ask God to open up the doors of a holy God moment where you can have that conversation where it just flows and you know it's God. Don't force it. Don't force it. 
Okay? Perhaps you're just going to show mercy and mercy on that person. Perhaps you're going to be bold because they need to be what? They need to be woken up. And perhaps there's someone you know who's just living in a, in a lifestyle of sin. I mean, they're just, they're just going all out and, 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 and they need Jesus, but you got to be cautious. We need to share the gospel. To know him and what? Make him live, love, worship, witness. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we...